Welcome to the 147th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and a look at recent games in the NBA playoffs with a look ahead to the NBA Conference Finals. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA where Patrick went 1-3 in his weekend predictions. Similarly, in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 1-3 in his weekend series predictions, so Patrick was 2-6 overall this weekend, bringing him to a 411-288 and overall record in his predictions, which is a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on this past weekend's predictions? This might be the biggest drop I've had in a percentage record for probably from maybe the first few weeks I had the podcast, and probably at some point I was maybe... I don't know six and two or five and three or something and then I went four and four and it dropped like a whole five percent because you know there were like eight games total uh but yeah this was a terrible terrible week I will say the the NBA game sixers were really hard to predict because uh, even my, the teams I picked to win the series I thought wouldn't win the games in game six I thought the heat weren't going to close that out in six I thought the Celtics just lost the momentum after the freak end at Game 5 for them against the Bucks, uh, So I got those two wrong because of that, even though I initially actually did predict the Heat to win Game 6. Um, the only one I got right was the Warriors because I stayed on my path from the original part of the series where I said, well, we'll get to what happened later, uh, but I, I got that game right because I knew, I, I said it on the podcast on Friday that the series was not getting past Game 6. I was very adamant about that. So I picked them because I wouldn't be backing up my word if I didn't say that. Um, but that that one was an easy prediction for me. And then um, I'm blanking on the other guy. Oh, the Suns game. Uh, I thought that the Suns would be able to close it out in six. I just thought that CP3 had two freak, freakishly terrible games uh, in game three and four in games three and four on the road. And I thought that wouldn't happen again. But as we now know, that not only happened in game six again, but also managed to happen in game seven too. But we'll Talk about that later. Uh, and then in the MLB, every single series went to the final day. Every series was one-to-one heading into Sunday. Um, and I just didn't get the games to go my way. You had the Padres take two of three from the Braves, which was a loss. That one started very early on Sunday where the Braves actually had an opportunity. The Padres did not score in the top half of the 10th inning in extra innings but the Braves failed to get their bunt down and got their got the runner thrown out at third. So that stinted their inning short, and then the Padres got four runs in the top of the 11th and put away the Pod, put away the Braves there. So that was an unfortunate one, but I was saying, okay, that's the one that stings a lot. I'll probably go two and two. And then we got to Albert Pujols pitching by the end of the day because the Cardinals were up by so much on the Giants after I had picked the Cardinals correctly last weekend. I thought, okay, Cardinals took the series on the road against the Giants. Giants get the better pitching matchups this week, uh, and that uh, that would pro, pro, uh, propel them to the win in the series. And then Carlos Rodon allowed more runs in the first two innings of the game on Sunday than he did previously in the entire rest of the season combined um, on Sunday. So that's just unfortunate. Can't do much about that. Uh, that definitely went exactly how I thought it would. The Giants even got six runs. You'd think six, run support, six runs of support for, uh, for Carlos Rodon would be enough to win a game, but just not enough this weekend. Then you have the Blue Jays who got shut out. 
um, against the Rays in Game 3 of their series. And obviously there could be stuff that happened in Game 1 and Game 2 that could sway these series also. And then finally, you but that ended up being a loss too as I picked the Blue Jays. And then finally, the Twins, the only win of the week, took 2 of 3 from the Guardians, uh, despite also choking an extra innings game in Game 2 of their series. So they could have swept that series pretty easily, uh, but still ended up winning the series. And, you know, a win's a win, but uh, I'll take that one little win that I get and, uh, you know, hope to bounce back next week, but less predictions in the NBA because there's not enough games left. Uh, but I'll be picking only two games, and that way I know I won't go one and three. That's not possible anymore. Yeah, all right. Well, we'll see what Patrick's predictions are for next weekend when they are posted on our website, as always, on Thursdays. Now let's turn our attention to the NBA. First, with a look back at the past several days of action as conference semifinal action wrapped up, starting in the Eastern Conference semis where the Celtics beat the Bucks in seven games. In game six, the Celtics beat the Bucks 108-95 to keep the series alive. This was the game of Tatum versus Giannis. It was just, I mean, they just pretty much went back and forth. It was, there were other guys who contributed too, but Tatum had 46 points on 17 of 32 shooting, 7 of 15 from three, uh, only 5 of 7 from three free throws. Giannis had 44 on 14 of 30 shooting uh, with 20 rebounds too. And he was 14 of 15 from the line. So, look. And even went two of three on threes, by the way. I, I would I got to mention that, too, because Giannis stepped up his three-point shooting at the end of the series 100%. Um, and then rest of the team, you look at it, and uh, Drew Holiday had 17 on 7 of 17 shooting. Pat Connaughton had 14. And nobody on the rest of the Bucks scored above six points. So definitely needed some other productions, for, some other production from other guys. Uh, especially off their bench, and and also some of the starters too. I won't lie, um, if they wanted to win this game, but it just it just wasn't enough. Bobby Portis only scored four four points in this game, had a lot of foul trouble. He had ten rebounds, but still only four points. And then on the Celtics side of things, uh, beside Tatum, you had Marcus Smart with twenty one on eight of sixteen shooting, and Jalen Brown with twenty two on seven of sixteen. So the dynamic duo of Tatum and Brown combined for sixty eight points in this game, which. You get 34 on average from both of them, and you're you're most likely going to win that game. Obviously, this game, it was almost all Tatum, but uh, still, they got a lot of production from Brown, and they got a lot of production from Marcus Smart, both of them outscoring Drew Holiday. So the the Celtics' second and third options coming in uh, and playing better than Drew Holiday, at least from a scoring aspect, uh, which was Milwaukee's second option. So when you consider it that way, it, it does make a lot of sense that Boston was able to go on the road and pick up this win. Uh, as a team, shot 40% from three compared to Milwaukee, who shot 7 of 29, which is 24%, very ugly uh, percentage. But do you have anything to say about this game? Yeah, I, I will say game six, um, Jason Tatum just put on a show. And when Giannis was having a historic game, he had 40 points and 20 rebounds. I think that's only the fourth time that somebody's ever done that in an NBA playoff game. Um, or maybe at least he's the fourth player to do it. Last person to do it was Shaq. Giannis was putting on a show, and the Celtics just kept hitting shot after it seemed like hit shot after shot after shot after shot. Milwaukee was playing out of its head. Giannis was trying to lead the team, and I think they closed it to within four points. And then Boston just kind of extended the lead out again, just kept hitting shots. And uh, I, you know, I thought for sure the way Giannis was playing, Milwaukee had all the momentum was going to win that game. Um, but uh, never really got back in the lead, though. Yeah, they never got in the driver's seat. It was always it was always Boston 
no no need to mention Kevin Durant, but Boston was driving the bus in this game the whole yeah, time. I mean, it wasn't just Tatum. It seemed like, and it wasn't just Tatum hitting tough shots, but it seemed like he hit crazy shot after crazy shot. And then it was just, it was almost demoralizing watching. You could see that losing that game, Milwaukee was almost demoralized. Like, holy smokes, how did we not win that game after that effort from Giannis and some of the some of the shots that they hit. So And that's exactly why I picked Milwaukee to win game six, because I thought that's how the Celtics felt after game five when they controlled the whole game. And then at the very, very end, Drew Holiday made a Drew Holiday Giannis made a three when they were down six. Drew Holiday made a three to tie it. And then all of a sudden Drew Holiday made the block, the steal, and the other steal, and all of a sudden you look up and you're losing at home. So uh, that's how I felt that that was gonna go down for Milwaukee in that game, but um, that's why I picked them. But yeah, it, it was a crazy game. So, uh, and that was their shot, really, right? That was their shot to win. Yep. It was, it was if all- they were going to close it out, they were going to close it out at home in game six. Crazy. As, as soon as they had stolen game five, I was like, you better close it out in six because you go back to Boston, you get that atmosphere again. That that fan base is not going to let them lose. It's so hard to beat them on the road. I mean, we've seen, you know, it, the Nets, I mean, the Nets would have won game one barring the miracle from Tatum, but still... You know, it took it took all those clutch plays from Drew Holiday at the end of the game to win a three-point game. Any time a team has won on the road there in this playoffs, it has been a it has been really really hard. And any time a team a team's come close to winning, it's been really hard to do there. Um, but then you look at Game Seven, and speaking of coming close to winning, Milwaukee did not do that at all in Game Seven. The Bucks lost that game, one hundred nine to eighty one. Look. This was the game that showcased that regardless of what was happening with the Stars, you cannot underestimate the impact of role players in NBA playoff games. Because Drew Holiday might have played his most efficient game of the C- of the series. I mean, he didn't make a three, but he had 21, 8, and 5. He was on tw- a 9 of 21 shooting. Giannis had 25, 20, and 9. And on the other side of things, Grant Will... Well, well I just spoiled who really won the game, but... Jason Tatum had 23 points on 7-14 shooting. He had 8 eight assists, 6 rebounds, had some foul trouble. They kept his minutes a little bit low. And Jalen Brown had 19 points on 8 of 16 shooting and 8 rebounds. So both of them shooting 50%, around 20 points. And yet the disparity that came from Boston to Milwaukee was the fact that Milwaukee shot 4 from 33 from 3 in this game. 12% in Game 7 compared to 40 for the Celtics. And by the way, you don't even have to go just to the Celtics. Grant Williams, on his own, almost made double the threes that Milwaukee did. He was 7 of 18 from three on his own. Led game seven in scoring. Yes, Grant Williams outscored Giannis. 27 points, six rebounds, 10 of 22 shooting, 7 of 18 from three. But it also wasn't just the fact that it was his playmaking. It wasn't just that. It was the big moments that it was the big moments from other guys off the bench that I'm going to get to in a second. But you also have to mention the fact that look, Derek White shot one, Derek White shot one for ten in this game. He was a non-factor offensively. Horford was two of seven. Marcus Smart was two of nine. But the one thing about all those guys is Derek Hart, uh, Derek White found a way to play well on the defensive end. Uh, Horford had six six and ten despite having a terrible shooting night, and Marcus Smart had eleven ten and seven despite having a terrible shooting night, and then. Milwaukee just, Bobby Portis had four, was on four of nine, he had ten points, Connaughton didn't make a three, that's a huge thing for them, George Hill didn't make a shot, didn't take one either, played 11 minutes, Connaughton played 32 minutes, only had two points, 
Grayson Allen was 0 for 6. Wesley Matthews is 1 for 5. Brooke Lopez was 6 for 12. That's okay, but just wasn't enough for them. And uh, after Giannis in the first quarter, I don't know what the stat line was. I think he had 10, 8, and 7 at the end of the first quarter. 10, 10 points, 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. And at the end of the game, he has 25, 20, and 9. And you look at it and you think that's a great stat line. But then you realize he had a terrible shooting percentage. He was completely inefficient. And if you take out the first quarter, as I said, if if the numbers are 10, 8, and 7, which I think it's either 10, 8, and 7, or 10, 8, and 6, or something in that ballpark, it was definitely 10 points and 8 rebounds, or 7 rebounds. You're looking at, I mean, the 13 rebounds are nice, for sure. The 12 rebounds, 12 or 13 rebounds is ridiculous. But you're also looking at only 15 points for him over the last three quarters of the game, and only one assist. So they took the ball out of his hands. He didn't get the playmaking, but he also didn't get the scoring. It, it's not like they were allowing him to facilitate anymore. In the first quarter, he had scored or assisted on, I think, the first 21 points that they had. And then in the rest of the game, he just didn't get it. And also, Grant Williams, the whole game with threes, the Bucks were just daring him to shoot. And he was like, you want to dare me to shoot? I'll shoot. I used to be a star at Tennessee. And even though that has nothing to do with Game 7, he knows how to be the big player in the big moments. He's not afraid of the big moment. He's always been that kind of guy, whether he's succeeded or not is a different story, but he has never been afraid to step out there in the big moments. And once he started making a few, you could tell his confidence got went up. I mean, he made the first three of the game. He made the first basket of the game. And he, from that moment on, just didn't stop shooting. He just could not stop shooting. Again, he took 18 threes. Grant Williams took more threes in that game than Steph Curry did when he set the record for most three points, three pointers made in a game. And look, 7 of 18 isn't a great percentage. Like, you'd think that if someone's shooting 18, they better be making, like, 11 or 12. But it's a good enough percentage, and they were just daring him to shoot the whole game, and he was ready for it. And then Peyton Pritchard hit two straight threes to seal Milwaukee to seal Milwaukee out of it um, and got an offensive rebound when the lead shrunk a bit, and that led to the real dagger by Marcus Smart, which put them up, I think, 22. Um, and then, of course, Jason Tatum also had a great game, too, himself. Uh, but overall, there, there are just a lot of things you could point to for Milwaukee. But I, I'm talking about those role players outside of Drew Holiday, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez. I mean, and you got Bobby Portis with 10 and pretty much nobody else. Peyton Pritchard had 14 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3. Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams both individually hit more threes than the Bucks did as an entire team in Game 7. That's pretty much all you need to know about what happened uh, in this game. And by the way... The guards for Milwaukee combined to shoot 0 for 13 from the three-point line. This is the three-point dominant game. They shot 33 threes. The Celtics shot 55 of them. When one team shoots 55 threes and one team shoots 33, if one of those teams shoots 12%, they are losing. If you shoot 12% shooting eight, eight, nine threes, you're fine. You cannot shoot 33. You cannot shoot 33 threes and make 12% of them. They are. They had no chance of winning this game with how terrible they were shooting. Well, uh, Celtics take the series from the Bucks. That means they're going to face the Heat in the conference finals after the Heat defeated the 76ers in six games. And, by the way, that means that I predicted both of these series exactly to the game originally, even though I both revised them to wrong game amounts eventually. But, uh, actually, no, I think I kept the Celtics at seven. But uh, I did predict the Celtics in seven originally and the Heat in six originally. Yeah, I think I took the Bucks, didn't I? Yeah, you um, did. Bucks and seven. And uh, we will be previewing those conference finals and maybe even talking a little bit about that uh, home court advantage that you mentioned for Boston in that in our predictions for those finals, uh, conference finals matchups. But let's first uh, turn over to the Western Conference semifinals to 
see how we got that matchup. First, the Warriors beating the Grizzlies four games to two. Well, I will say, before we even talk about Game 6, the final game of the series, I would play back the audio feed of me saying how every single game in the series was going to go down and how it happened literally exactly to the T, but I won't because I'm worried. I'm actually just worried about audio feedback from my phone, playing phone into microphone with my computer attached to it. I just don't think that's a good idea, and I don't want to break people's eardrums on my podcast, uh, despite me being loud a little bit at times, but I will say... I said from the start of the series, I outlined how it would go. This was the only series that I picked by the game because I think I had an idea of just the flow of the series. And I, I said right away, I said the Warriors would come out in game one. They would they would frustrate the Grizzlies. They would show them that they have the experience. They would show them who's boss. Even in a close game, they won. They won game one. I said they would win game one. The Grizzlies would bounce back for game two. The Warriors would not lose a game at home, which meant they would win game three, four, and six. But I did say that Memphis would back, bounce back and win Game 5 in the end. And by the way, suspensions, injuries, whatever. The fact of the matter is those predictions did still hold up all the way to the game. Warriors won Game 1. Grizzlies bounced back in Game 2. The Warriors won both games at home. And then the Grizzlies, well, I mean the Grizzlies killed the Warriors in Game 5. And then the Warriors finished it off at home in Game 6. Like I thought, like I kept the whole time. Uh, that's exactly how I thought the series was going to go down. Although I think I might have even said... Warriors in full. I might have even said they were going to sweep them, honestly, after the first uh, in my revisions. I don't exactly remember, but I'll take three. I'll, I will take three game, three series that I predicted exactly right to the amount of games. Uh, and then let's talk about game six now. 110 to 96. Golden State won this game. Uh, really, it was off of a massive run by the Warriors. I think it was an 18 to 3 run when they were down 89 to 87, I think was about the scoring range. Um, and from that point on, Memphis just had no chance. Um, it, it, it really, Memphis did have control of this game. They were up, or sorry, they were losing, barely. They were losing 78-77 to 77 at, the end of the four, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, took the lead, and they were up 80, yeah, they were up 89-87. to 87. And then the Warriors, you look at the shot chart, I mean, they, there were 6.55 left with that lead. The Warriors had Wiggins 3, Wiggins dunk, Steph 3, Draymond dunk, Stephen Adams hit one free throw, and then again, Looney shot, Tyus Jones responded with a floater, Steph hit a three, Clay Thompson hit a three. But I will say, I've never seen a box score so odd on that Clay Thompson three. After Steph made his three, I was like, if if Memphis misses a shot, the next shot the Warriors make is gonna break the back, is gonna break the back of the Grizzlies, and that's gonna be the end of the series. Steph got the rebound. He missed a 31-foot three. I said, oh my god, Steph's pulling up for the dagger. He missed the shot. Okay, fine. Memphis still has a chance. Okay, never mind, though they don't. Kevin Kevon Looney, offensive rebound. Oh, Steph is open. Steph's going to shoot another three. Okay, this one's the dagger. Nope, missed again. And then Kevon Looney gets another offensive rebound and then kicks it out to Clay Thompson, who makes the game, well, the big dagger three. Not only did this whole, not only was this whole sequence backbreaking because of the score, this thing took a minute. It was a minute in between baskets for the Warriors. There were four minutes left, and it was a 10-point game. That's still within reach. It's not likely for them for Memphis to have made a comeback there, but it was still within reach. Golden State could have put it out of reach any shot they made in that in that um, on that possession, and then they made it even worse by the fact that Memphis could not get a rebound twice on threes, where they easily could have gotten the rebound but just weren't in the right position. Kevon Looney put in the maximum effort, uh, and and he he deserves a lot of praise for that. And he got those two offensive rebounds, and they were huge and then eventually led to Klay Thompson making the dagger. And then from then on, 
you know, 105 to 92. Game pretty much stayed the same in terms of score. It's, you know, free throw shooting at the end of the game and all that. But uh, it was really just to show the Warriors' dominance. They deserve to win this game. They deserve to win the series. Jaw ja or not, Dylan Brooks' suspension or not, Gary Payton injured or not, whatever you want to talk about, the Warriors deserve to win the series. They were the better team. And by the way, Dylan Brooks finally had a good game in the series, had 30 points on 11 of 28 shooting, uh, 7 of 15 from three. By the way, still not very efficient shooting. Looks like Drew Holiday numbers there. Uh, and then Desmond Bain had 25 points on 9 of 16, but just too late. Brandon Clark was 2 of 10, very inefficient for a center. Uh, Tyus Jones was 2 of 12. Jaron Jackson was 5 of 19. So a horrendous shooting night for Memphis from two-pointers with their big guys especially. They shot 35% from two and actually 42% from three. Meanwhile, the Warriors shot 39% uh, from the field, but 38% from three. So actually not that much better in terms of percentages. But here's where the difference came down in the game. After all of the big men advantages that the Warriors were losing out on the whole series, this game, they committed to Kevon Looney playing. Kevon Looney had 22 rebounds in this game. The Warriors as a team had 25 offensive rebounds. You can't win a game if you give up 25 offensive rebounds. The Warriors took 104 shots in this game. Memphis took 96, but you cannot let that team get 104 opportunities to shoot the ball. You're not going to win doing that. Golden State got off 53 threes in this game and 104 shots from the field. They just had way too many opportunities. And by the way, whether you want to say it's Kevon Looney's great effort or Memphis not doing a good job of rebounding the ball, I don't really care. But the fact of the matter is, that is what won the Warriors that game. And it is so, it's so interesting that there was that microcosm of that, that at, on the dagger of the play, you, or the play that was the dagger to end the game, you had Kevon Looney, after his 22 rebounds, he got two last offensive rebounds on that play where they got the dagger and the Warriors hit an extra three on those extra two shot attempts that they got. Uh, and that was the end of the series for the Warriors, and that's how they sealed it up. All right, well, let's turn to the other series. Uh, maybe a surprise to some. The Mavs beat the Suns in seven games. Well, look, it's... I, I, I don't even want to talk about this game, honestly. This might be one of the most embarrassing performances from a one seed ever. Um... I will say the two things I will mention that have nothing to do with the stats and nothing to do with Game 7, but just things I saw on social media that um, people don't maybe remember, but there, there was a video where the Suns were trash-talking the Lakers a lot, and, you know, the Lakers suck this year. Let's just say that, but let's just get that out of the way before I talk about <laughs> the Lakers in a positive light. But LeBron was seen on the bench very, very mad at how arrogant the Suns were acting while, granted, beating up the Lakers in a primetime game. But he was telling the Suns, stay humble, because he knows. They haven't won anything yet. LeBron knows what it's like. He, he early in his career, was a great young star, but yet still hadn't had the team success yet in, in Cleveland in that first stint in Cleveland. He knows what it's like to be to, to still want to talk that trash, to still want to be that guy with all the energy, and yet not have any credentials to him. And that, that happened to him, and then he knew he got humbled by a lot of teams, by Boston especially, and then that helped him come up. He knew that the Suns were not humble this season. And ever since Devin Booker looked at the camera, flopped, played dead, and said it, that's the Luka special, Luka Doncic outplayed the entire team of the Suns single-handedly. And that's best evidence by the fact that at halftime of Game 7, this is Game 7 of a playoff series, at home, Luka Doncic had 27 points. The Suns as a team 
had 27 points. You cannot have the same score as one player from the other team in a Game 7 at home as the one seed in the West. It's impossible. And by the way, talk about Luka's greatness because I don't even want to talk about how bad CP3 was or how bad Devin Booker was because, by the way, we have Patrick Beverly to talk about how about CP3. We already know that, so I don't need to talk about that anymore. He, he He's already done that trash talking. I don't need to do it anymore. Uh, although, by the way, no Scott Foster this time to screw CP3 over, so it's not like it was uh, that curse again. Like I said last year, it's a little more about the player and a little less about the ref than people think it is. I know it's all a joke, but still. But let's look at what actually happened. Luka Doncic, if you want to talk about the awards that we've heard about, this is a stat that I this is a stat that that was posted in uh, the NBA thread. Sorry, the Reddit uh, thread for the NBA. Over the course of a seven-game series, Luka Doncic outscored fourth-place MVP Devin Booker. 218 to 164, out-rebounded seven-footer DeAndre Ayton, by the way, former number one pick in the draft, DeAndre Ayton, 69 to 57, and out-assisted Chris, quote-unquote, point god Paul, 49 to 40. And by the way, he also had more steals than Defensive Player of the Year runner-up Mikael Bridges, 15 to 9. So he had more points than than the Suns' best scorer, more rebounds than the Suns' best rebounder, more assists than the Suns' point guard, and more steals than the best defensive player arguably in the league, according to some. That's ridiculous. And it's even more ridiculous when you think about it because everybody thinks of Luka Doncic as a slow but very skilled guy. No one talks about Luka Doncic's defense, myself included. I won't say that. I mean, I will definitely say I definitely talked a lot more about Mikhail Bridges on defense than Luka Doncic. I mean, obviously. And yet here we are. He outperformed the best player on the Suns in every different category, in every different category. The only thing he didn't lead the Suns in is blocks. But, I mean, you can't ask him to do all that. But, I mean, I don't even know what to say. It's just the fact that one player can single-handedly do that, it just shows that you do not need a super team to win in this era. That that era died a little bit ago. Now, I will say, there might be teams that can be argued as super teams, but not the super, super, super teams that we've seen this league really can't, you can win if that one star is really, really at the top of his game. And if you get the chips to fall in your way, I will say the Suns definitely had a hand in this. I don't think that Luka could have won this single-handedly. I don't think that it wasn't as a result of his teammates. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie scoring 30 points in that game definitely made a big difference. Uh, and, and look, you just can't say enough about Luka, 35 points, 12 of 19 from the floor in Game 7. And then you have Jalen Brunson, who had 24 and 11 of 19. And then Dinwiddie had 30 points on 11 of 15 shooting. So those three, I mean, those three outscored the Suns on their own in Game 7 again. Or actually, I guess, well, I did my math wrong. They had one less point. Fine, it was 89 to 90 of the quote-unquote big three of Jalen Brunson, Luka Doncic, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And by the way, no offense to Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson. They are great players, but that is not a big three. It's not even close. So if you think that you need a super team to win, just watch what happens when, ha- when the Mavs maybe, maybe, just maybe might beat the Warriors. Well, I don't know about that. Um, and I don't even want to talk about You're the one who picked them to beat the Suns. I know. Correctly. I know. After all that. I know. Uh, and I don't want to dwell on CP3, but, um, you know, you got to feel for the guy. Let's just say that. Um, and the only interesting thing is, you know how many more years is his? I mean, how many more chances is he going to get? Not many. Um, so then you start to see if he's going to be in the conversation of best all time to 
never win a title with Charles Barkley and John Stockton and Carl Malone, CP3. I mean, there's there's. Well, he'll players. be in that discussion, but the the thing that really hurts him also is that he if he would win a title, he'd probably be able to take the title of best point guard of all time. But um, I don't think so. What do you do when you what What do you do when you can't win a title? Because You're he not. doesn't have an argument over Isaiah Thomas no, at all. Exactly right. It's so. Not even close. And, and if you want to talk plays. about assists alone, someone could. Everybody would just say, "Well, look at John Stockton. Yeah. He has too many assists. And, you can't frankly, beat him." I don't think he plays defense like like Isaiah Thomas does. Probably not. Fact of the matter is. This, uh, I mean, if you're Patrick Beverly, you definitely think that. Correct. Uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is, this wasn't even the biggest choke job, right? That's the funny thing. He, he a bigger choke job with the Clippers a couple of years ago. Well, so. yeah. Well, but you know, he does. Well, and again, you said you didn't want to dwell on that. I didn't even mention it, but I will mention the other stat that I saw, which is that Chris Paul has been part of the most 2 0 lead series chokes ever in NBA yeah. history. Um, that is just. It's just a sad stat, but it's true. And by the way, they were up two to nothing last year in the NBA Finals on the Bucks. Don't forget that the Bucks won four straight against the Suns after going down two to nothing. Uh, it's just you can't say enough about it. But look, look, he's still a good player, um, and and his impact on teams can't be uh, overstated at all. You look at the Thunder, and you look at the two years right after or right before he. Well, you look at the one year right before he was there. And the two years right after he's been there, I mean, the Thunder have been number one pick territory the last two years. After he brought them to a four seed in one year that he got there, he was the best player. Shea Gilgis Alexander was their second best player. You had, you had, you had him with the higher seed in the bubble. I mean, it was the bubble year, but he had a better seed than James Harden and Russell Westbrook did with Houston. So, and then he took the Suns. Devin Booker had never made the playoffs in his career. His best finish was ninth in the bubble season, or 10th in the bubble season, and then he took them to the two seed, and then the one seed the year after with a franchise record. You cannot doubt his impact, but the playoff success definitely isn't there. Yeah, it's funny. You just mentioned somebody. He's probably uh, James Harden's favorite player. James Harden's favorite player is probably CP3, because people are talking about CP3 being a failure now, not Harden. Uh, uh, well, well, but except for Harden still has, still has it on his shoulders that his team went 0 of 27 from 3 in a stretch when... Chris Paul wasn't there, and also, the one thing is that still to this day, people say Chris Paul. If Chris Paul was there, they would have won. But I look at this game seven performance, and I say if he played like this, they probably would have lost even worse. But let's stop dwelling on CP3 because we got to talk about the next series. All right. Well, so the Mavericks advance. Obviously, uh, they will face the Warriors um, in the Western Conference Finals. Let's move back to the Eastern Conference to talk about the Heat versus the Celtics. For the Eastern Conference Championship and a chance to play for an NBA title. The Heat have home court in the series, uh, but Boston won the season series 2-1 to one in the regular season. Uh, game 1, the Celtics won 95-78. to 78. Game 2, they won 122-92. to 92. And then Game 3, towards the end of the season, the Heat won 106-98 to 98 in Boston. Uh, Boston was 1-1 one one in, in those first two games, and they were both in... Uh, one of them was in Miami and one of them was in Boston. Um, for the Celtics, in Game 1, I'm just going to note some notes about these games. Game 1, Romeo Langford and Dennis Schroeder played more minutes than Robert Williams, and Aaron Neesmith also played more more minutes than Grant Williams. Uh, so you can tell that there were some major shifts in this game, and guess what? This game was November 4th, 2021. I think that was each team's second or third game, if I remember correctly, because the season normally starts around Halloween-ish. It might have been 
It could have been the 10th or 11th game. I don't know. It was something in that area. But despite that very, very different roster makeup that the Celtics had at the time, and even that the Heat had at the time, uh, the Celtics dominated this game, including a 33-9 second quarter score in favor of Boston. Then in Game 2, the Heat were missing Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and P.J. Tucker. So that 30-point loss in Boston is pretty much just explained by all of that also being a January 31st game. Those are really the dog days of the season. If you're injured at that point in the season, you're not beating any other good team. And that was also the start of Boston's just absolutely ridiculous start. It was it was kind of in the middle of that start where Boston, I think, went 23-4 and in 27 games. So... There were barely any teams who were beating them back then. The Heat definitely weren't going to without Lowry, Butler, and Tucker. On the Game 3, the Heat finally broke through, winning on the road in Boston, but that was still without Robert Williams. However, in this game, the Heat played a nine-man rotation, and the Celtics played just an eight-man rotation, with Tice, Grant Williams, and Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. So it is clear that this was the most normal matchup between those two teams this year, obviously. Uh, And if you actually look at the matchups and the rotations, that was pretty much the Celtics' rotation in Game 7 of the last series, uh, with also without Robert Williams, and if there was going to be a ninth man in that rotation, it would be Robert Williams, uh, and then maybe that might take Tice's minutes away too, but that's a different discussion, uh, and you never know how that's affected by playing Giannis last series versus not playing Giannis this series. Uh, obviously, the heat, the worry that you're looking at is Jimmy Butler, no disrespect to Bam Adebayo, but I think the Celtics probably feel confident in Robert Williams and Grant Williams a lot more regarding out of Pio than they did in Giannis. Um, but again, despite all of that in the season series, and really despite the fact that Miami won kind of the only, I'd say, real important matchup of this series uh, in the season, you could also debate that Boston was trying to avoid the Nets, and they wanted Miami to get the one seed. So that's a whole other discussion that you have to go into and think about, because while that game was late in the season with the real rotations, it might have been too late and they might have been already, as I said, positioning themselves for the playoffs. But let's move on from that. I think the season series is accurate here. I have the Celtics in this in six in this series. I, I really do think that the Celtics, you know me, I love picking teams to close it out at home. Um, but even though the Celtics don't have the home court, adv- actually, no, that's a typo. No, 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 the Heat do have home court now that I think about it. Yeah, I think I, I always pick the home team to, to close it out on their home court, obviously. Uh, but Celtics... Six games. I really do think that the Heat can compete. Uh, as much as that rhymes, that means it has to be true. Um, but I just think that after the Celtics went through what they went through playing against Giannis, uh, no offense to Jimmy Butler, but Giannis was clearly the best player in this playoffs. You, There's no one touching Giannis in terms of how well a player played in this postseason. And by the way, I forgot to mention it. Giannis did become the first player. Talking about Luke outscoring that whole team. Giannis became the first player ever to have 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in any series ever in NBA history. The only player to ever do that. That's right. Not even Wilt Chamberlain did that. That is very rare. But um, look, Giannis played great. Uh, The Celtics dealt with that and still got better. And also, I will say, Jimmy Butler can guard one of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but someone has to guard the other one. I mean, I don't doubt P.J. Tucker's ability to. I don't doubt even Max Struess or anybody that they're going to throw at him because the Heat really do have a ridiculously good defense, but I just don't know if they're going to have enough scoring to deal with Boston on the nights where Tatum is hitting shots and Brown is hitting shots and Grant Williams is hitting his corner threes, which he had the best percentage in the league shooting there. And then, you know, you got Robert Williams rim protecting. I just don't see how on the on nights the Celtics are going to lose to the Heat. 
And I feel like they're at this point in the playoffs, everybody's on their best game and, and at their highest peak. And I think that the Celtics win because I think at their peak, they're a better team. At their peak, I think they win the NBA Finals, and I've said it from the start of the playoffs. Suns-Celtics, give me the Celtics. Now the Suns are out, but I still think that it's the Celtics to lose in, in terms of the East and in terms of the, the Finals overall. Well, I agree with you. I'm going to pick the Celtics in six as much as it pains me. Never been a Celtics fan. Um, don't like their colors in okay. Detroit. They okay. were a rival Whatever. back then. Uh, but Whatever. I just, they showed a lot in that Milwaukee series. I didn't even know you cared about Boston, to be quite honest. I at all. do not like Boston. <laughs> um, uh, City they, doesn't need another title, I'll say that much. Yeah. But uh, they're just, uh, we won't get into it. But, but the Heat don't need another title. No, they either. don't either. And I, I think, I just, the same reasons you said. Give Dallas a title. I think that, I thought whoever won the Milwaukee Boston series was going to the NBA Finals. Not sure. I'm going to go out on a limb like you right now and say they're going to win it. But um, Boston just has more more high-level talent all the way across the floor yeah. than Miami does. Uh, Miami has It's interesting coach. Boston's finally not running into a big three, but now their big two is better than what Miami can throw at them too. So it's yeah. interesting. I just the way that they the way they took that punch in game 6 um, from Giannis and Milwaukee and just didn't flinch and frankly punched back harder. Um, just just really really impressive effort. So uh, I'm going to go with the Celtics in six. Frankly, I, you know, <laughs> even if it goes seven games, I think the Celtics win in Miami. I don't think the home court atmosphere, they're going to be intimidated by it. So let's move on from the Eastern Conference semis to the Western Conference, sorry, from the Eastern Conference Finals to the Western Conference Finals, Warriors versus Mavericks. The Warriors have home court, but the season series went in favor of Dallas 3-1. Uh, to one. one of these games we talked about a lot on the podcast, one of the most impressive comebacks of the year, I thought it could be interesting for a second-round series, but this ended up being the conference finals, which is great. But, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But I also would like to mention, I do think the Warriors are playing the best out of any team left over. I'm just saying that the Celtics were my pick going in, and I still don't really have a reason to abandon that. We'll see at the end of the conference finals if I'm right, because, well, first of all, we, we know that they might not be in it, and if they are still in it, we'll have to see how the Warriors play in this series. But let's talk about those games earlier in the season. The Warriors shot 17.6% from three in game one. But talk about, I mean, it, it feels like you're going back in a time machine. Kristaps uh, Porzingis was playing. Tim Hardaway was playing. No Dinwiddie. No Davis Bertans. Maxi Kleba was starting because Kristaps was actually injured in this game, although he was on the roster. Uh, just completely different. And Clay was not even close to coming back. So game one is kind of irrelevant, but the Mavericks did win that game 99-82. In game two, the Warriors shot... 53.3% from three at home, winning by 38, 130-92, just a dominant win. I mean, that's what happens when the Warriors are on, uh, when they are at their best. You can't beat them. It's true. You can't, They are the one team that when they play their best, they are literally impossible to beat. It's been shown many, many times over the last really six years. It's just impossible to beat that team. Uh, but then in game three, the Warriors led by 21 points. This is the game that we talked about a lot on the podcast a long time ago. Uh, but then the Mavericks came back, outscoring the Warriors 33-13 to in the fourth quarter, ending up with a 107-101 win. This was with both teams pretty much almost fully healthy. Maybe there was no Draymond in this game. I, I forget. Clay might have been on a minutes restriction still. Uh, but the Warriors were pretty much at full strength. And then also uh, the Mavericks still had uh, everybody, and that was after the trade deadline, so they actually had Dinwiddie already and Bertans, and Dinwiddie had a pretty good big game in this game too. Uh, but 
that was a big win for the Mavericks, who actually beat Golden State on the road with that comeback. That was surprising, and it was getting late in the season enough that the hype of the, the Warriors was really starting to show up again. That building was electric, and the Mavericks just quieted them down. And then finally, in Game 4, the Warriors only shot or shot 50% from three, sorry. But the absence of Draymond Green really hurt them on the defensive end of the floor. Luka scored 41, leading the Mavs to a nine-point win. Actually, a wire-to-wire win the Warriors did not lead in this game ever, although they did tie it up a few times late in the third quarter and in the third quarter overall, but they were not able to actually lead in this game. Uh, but despite all of that, I've seen the, war- the way the Warriors are playing now we know about all their issues with their injuries earlier in the season, but they have played for so long now with everybody healthy. I have confidence that the Warriors will win the series regardless of the season series, as I said. But I was cautious with the Mavericks last round because I originally thought that I was going to barely pick them to win. I am really, I am really, really cautious about this one. I, I picked the Suns and I said, I said it would be maybe a not close seven game series if that's possible. This one will be very, very close, as close as the Suns series, if not closer, because. The Warriors have proven that they can win on the road. I mean, sorry, the Mavericks have proven that they can win on the road at the Warriors already in important games. I wouldn't be surprised if a road team actually takes a few games in the series. I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors, with their experience, can actually go into Dallas and win some games, which is something that I don't think Dallas has lost on their home court in this entire postseason. And if they have, it was the first game of the whole of the whole playoffs against Utah uh, when they didn't even have Luka. But th- that would be their one home loss if they've had one. I know they didn't lose to the Suns at all. Uh, so it's hard to win there. It's hard to win at Golden State. I think maybe each team takes one on the road and you still end up with the Warriors winning in seven. Uh, but that's my pick. I'm going to take the Warriors in six. Um, I think the Warriors are a different team um, than some of the some of the than the teams that uh, Dallas beat maybe in the, in the first game that you mentioned. Um, both... With respect to Draymond There's a lot Green. of injuries and stuff going on with these with teams. Both, when you think teams. about Hardaway and Porzingis. Yeah, but, but and... you mentioned Draymond in the, in the latter game. Yeah. Also, Jordan Poole really hadn't emerged fully. Um, I, but he's also cooled off at the end of the Grizzlies series a little bit. But I will say, honestly, Game 3, sorry to interrupt you, but Game 3 might have, Game 3 of the season series with the 107-101 win of the Dallas series of Dallas against Golden State that might be the most true regular season predictor of any playoff series we've had this year. I don't think I've seen, like we've seen that Miami game where, you know, Boston beat Miami by 30 and the Celtics and Bucks have played some good games, but it's like that game really sh- felt like a playoff game. I remember watching that game and thinking, I feel like I'm in April already. Well, and I was going to say, and I think sometimes you learn your lessons early in the regular season so that you don't screw up when it really matters in the postseason. I think the Warriors learned a very important lesson. I think that loss will benefit them in this series. They're not going to jump out to a lead on Golden State and let Dallas come back on them again. So, um, Other way around. Sorry. They're not going to jump out to a lead on Dallas and let Golden and let Dallas come back on Golden State. Correct. Yeah. So I think I think the, the, those combinations of those factors have the Warriors winning this series. I think they win it in six. I know I'm predicting them to win the game, uh, to, gain, to win the series uh, on the road, in a road game, but um, I think that uh, Golden State takes this game in six, and then we have a Warriors-Celtics final, which would be something interesting. However, I will tell you, the one thing, if you've ever seen this podcast in two years, twice, I have picked a West Coast team to lose every series in seven games. The first one went to the finals, that was the Phoenix Suns, and the second one... The Dallas Mavericks. 
I did not. I picked them to lose to Utah in seven, to lose to the Suns in seven, and here I am picking them to lose to the Warriors in seven. And once again, I feel like I'm talking about them in the same way where I'm like, I really feel like I'm respecting this team, and yet still I'm not picking them, which very clearly means that I still don't have given them the respect that they deserve. But it's a 50-50 on the pick. I feel really, really close about this. I feel exactly, if you remember how anxious I was about Philadelphia and Toronto at the beginning of the postseason, that's how I feel about this series. This series is really on a knife's edge. Whoever wins the first road game, they are causing a massive uphill battle for the other team. I don't know who will win the first road game. I think that both teams will win a road game, but it's possible neither team wins any road games. It's definitely possible. Very good home court advantages for both of these teams. Yep. All right. Well, um, that wraps up our look at the NBA so far and our look ahead to the conference finals. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, May 20th, where we will talk about Major League Baseball with our weekly review of Major League Baseball action and review the start of those NBA conference finals playoff series. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games his Major League Baseball Power Rankings that will be updated tomorrow, and his NBA Power Rankings that will be published on Wednesday. All of that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.